The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. <laughs> Live from a floating car balloon, it's Doctor Who, Pachak. Doctor Who, Pachak. Okay, well, let's do it now. I, you know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani, Ken Deep, hello, James Norton, hello, news, fabulous, reviews, oh no, and fan mail for James, uh, 40,000, Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifreyan Embassy, you know, that guy James was really cool, oh yeah, we blew that. <laughs> I'm the doctor, and who are you? And who are you? And it's another beautiful day in London. So, do you think you can top last year's Christmas special? Well, all I can say now is that it involves ghosts and the past and the present and the future all at the same time. What time do you have, doctor? Two minutes past five, Caesar. It's always two minutes past five. And the date is always the 22nd of April. What happened? A woman. Hello, darling. Emergency weapon system disabled. Hush now, I need some information from your data call. Father Gideon Vandeleur. My condolences. Your what? Gideon Vandeleur has been dead for six months. Can I speak to the captain, please? Now, this unit can disguise itself as anyone in the universe, so if you're posing as Vandeleur, you're investigating the silence. There are now over four million volts running through it. That's why they call it live chat. I am a dead man. Unless you concede the game. But I'm winning. Name your prize. Information. Dorium Mardova. He's the only one who can help you. Dorium's dead. Concede the game. And I'll take you to him. Thank you for bringing me, Gantok. My pleasure. It saves me the trouble of burying you. Nobody beats me to chess. You mentioned a woman. Yes. Attractive, I assume. Hell in high heels. I need to know about the silence. A religious order. And they want me dead. You're a man with a long and dangerous past, but your future is infinitely more terrifying. What's so dangerous about my future? On the fields of Trenzalore, at the fall of the 11th, when no living creature could speak falsely or fail to answer, a question will be asked. A question that must never, ever be answered. The oldest question in the universe hidden in plain sight. 
you like to know what it is? Yes. Are you sure? Very, very sure. <laughs> the Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 258. This is Lewis Trapani. And joining me, well, let's go across the pond first. Joining me is um, Dave Cooper, of course. Hi, Lewis. Uh, yeah, uh, not floating in the balloon. I'm on the train. Just gone through the gherkin. <laughs> And as I said right before we began the show, that I think we are frozen in time. It must be 5.02, and all of history is combined, because back with us is Mr. none other than Mr. Ken Deep. Hello, Ken. Hello. Well, Hi, Ken. We're, we're back here live, and as always, we're reviewing the latest episode of Doctor Who, which is the finale of the 2011 series. It's the Wedding of River Song. So I know we have a, a lot to talk about, and there's a lot of people in the queue and want to chime in. So I know there's other stuff that we can talk about, but I think we're going to go right into our review this time and uh, and not waste any more. Well, not that it would be wasting time, but we want to um, add as much value as we can for with with what we have to talk about. So without any further ado... Spoilers. Spoilers. Again. Spoilers. 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 Anything after this point, as you, well, Spoilers. actually before this point, if you've been listening to the um, to our clips ahead of time, it would be spoilery. So if you haven't seen this episode, The Wedding of River Song, please take this podcast and put it in your pocket or put it in a pyramid or a little head box and open it up when you have seen it. But most likely, if you're listening, you've seen it and you want to talk about it and you want to hear what we have to say about it. So this is The Wedding of River Song. As I said, it's the series finale episode and hopefully the episode that we were hoping that will tie up everything for the last, well, I would normally say for the last series, but actually for the last couple of years now. It's written by Stephen Moffat. It's directed by Jeremy Webb. This was one of those episodes that we did have a prequel um, as well, but uh, I, I don't think we're going to be talking much about that because it doesn't really um, give too much content to the story. Well, first of all, I'll just come out and say that the the name which, which we were avoiding last week, and just I know I had said that I'm, I'm not going to um, go off on too much. I do want, want to just say that we had mentioned last week about, I think Dave had mentioned the background work of uh, Linda Barron, I believe, who was in uh, Closing Time. And we, yes. we had failed to mention her previous Doctor Who background. So she was in um, Enlightenment. She played uh, Captain Rack or Rack. And she was also, yeah. uh, she goes back to. Um, the ballad she had sang the original she had recorded the song for the ballad of the last chance saloon for the gunfighters in 1966 so she does have a uh history of doctor who as well so that's just something that uh i didn't really recognize her right away and didn't put her name to tune to you know put two and two together with her name so just i wanted to kind of just you know make a point of mentioning that since we, d we didn't mention it on the show last week but Getting back to the wedding of River Song, which is, um, as I said last week, we were trying to avoid giving away the title, and because, it, well, it, I mean, the title is the title, so it, it it's not your typical Doctor Who title. But then again, I guess Let's Kill Hitler wasn't either. It, 
it just seems a little soap opera-ish, the title. You know, it just it's not like the Seeds of Doom or your typical uh, Doctor Who title. But that's uh, titles have really changed over the last few years since the series has come back. Uh, but the other point is that it seems to give away something that might have been left as a surprise. But then again, maybe they felt that it was um, it, it would be futile to um, or useless to try to contain that surprise. You know, as far as the wedding goes, um, and, and maybe they wanted a key on that to uh, promote it. It's forty five minutes long, though. I have to say that it did feel longer watching it. Uh, it opens up with a recap telling the last, uh, you know, reminding us of the last series, uh, you know, both the, the first half and the second half, which was a bit telling what they selected to show and what they selected, you know, not to show because, uh, you know, the, the certain elements that they did show did pertain, you know, were going to pertain to the story. And Dave, as you remember, I predicted it. It was going to open up. <laughs> completely differently than we expected, though uh, I admit that I, I was sort of expecting it to open up in the World War II era because I knew that Churchill was going to be coming back and was going to be in this episode. So, uh, But it, it, as I predicted, it was going to open someplace, sometime in some place other than we expected it to. And um, we do see, uh, in the very beginning of this episode, we do see a cameo of a Dalek, which uh, makes it a tradition or makes it, it, it once again every year every every series of Doctor Who at, um, the Dalek appears in uh, even if it's just a, a very brief appearance so it may give some credence to Mike's theory about them being obligated to um, to have the the Daleks you know appear at least once in every every year but it could just be a coincidence but it's without fail the, the Dalek did appear this year, even though there were no Dalek stories. Uh, speaking of appearing, hasn't it? It's been a theme actually that uh, some of these creatures have been in, and you're almost interchangeable ones. I mean, uh, like the last episode, it, it was the Daleks, but um, they were just there for the threat value. You mean the, the Cybermen? You mean Cybermen? Yeah. Did I say? Yes. Yeah. And speaking of uh, seeing, you know, uh, returning characters, it was good to see Charles Dickens again. And, and of course, as I mentioned, Churchill was back, obviously, in this episode, too. Uh, Travis from Blake 7 was in. No, no, I'm only kidding. I mean, it's just all the eye patches. <laughs> everyone wearing eye patches reminded me very much of Travis. I know I think it was supposed to be a nod to the brig as far as, a, you know, being in an alternate timeline. Uh, if you if you go back to, um, um, was it Inferno? Where uh, in the 1970s where the yeah. Brigadier appears with an eye patch. So, I, you know, but it did, rem it, the, the patch itself reminds me more of, uh, of you know Travis's eye patch because it doesn't have a string or anything like that. Uh, but speaking of of nods, it, uh, there's a scene where uh, where the doctor first ex goes into um, it finds the the heads where the the heads are kept, and that's a scene very reminiscent of Indiana Jones and you know that and I where he says you know I hate rats. It's obviously a, a nod to or a send up to the Indiana Jones films. So I thought that was cute. Uh, once again, we have science or science that really doesn't make any sense, but the skulls there, uh, as far as the skulls moving and, um, 
talking heads. We're, we're in Futurama now. Be it, you know, I, I knew this is where it was going to go once they were going with the heads and 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 we were going to see the, you know, the, that that blue character again. You know, a head in a box, no life support system, no lungs, but he's able to talk and all that. It, it goes to the point what we were saying last week about this about Doctor Who now just being very much in a fairy tale mode instead of science fiction even if or science fantasy it's it's but it's it's very much still in this fantasy in well in this fairy tale mode it doesn't really offer that much believability so but this is um putting all that aside for now the effects were good i, I think it opened up and we we saw these great effect shots and throughout the episode that uh you know, in this alternate reality, they they really outdid themselves with that. The the silence were there again, and they're all wearing the men in black suits, even when they're in those water tanks. As the story progresses, we once again we see Madame um, Carvarian, I believe her name is the eye patch lady. We still don't know really who she is. We know obviously she's wearing the the patch because she's working for the silence. Uh, why is she at war with the doctor? Is it just because she's serving the silence? Uh, what are her motives? All this is really not really addressed. The doc- I mean, when you pause me, I'm, not, I'm, I'm unsure whether to jump in. No, there, jump in. But, uh, any, uh, both uh, of you can I, jump I, in any time you like. Yeah, I'm not leaving you to struggle. I'm just thinking. <laughs> no, no, I'm just. Le- I'm giving you pauses, so you could jump in. I, it's not so much a struggle. <laughs> I just didn't want to monopolize the, the conversation. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I thought uh, I'll put my cards on the table because I, I thought uh, it, it was a very successful episode. It hasn't solved all the problems. We've got quite a lot of answers for series six, but. Um, uh, more more than I thought, actually. Um, one of the things about uh, being on podcasts and hearing other people's comments about it, things that you accepted, you suddenly start to question. Things that you thought uh, were, were throwaway lines suddenly take on a new significance. But um, overall, uh, even after talking about it for a couple of hours, I'm still firmly in the belief that it, it was overall a well-crafted episode. I didn't think they could have actually even covered the, the range of things they had to in 45 minutes. Um, it did have some advantages in as much as uh, many of the episodes that are 45 minutes long uh, finish three or four minutes early to have, you know, what's coming on next week. So, in effect, there are actually 42 uh, minute ones. We didn't have a great uh, long teaser at the beginning in some ways because um, the one of the things that they did, yeah, what they did last week, of course, in um, um, the episode, uh, we had um, some of the scenes. The scene with uh, River Song in her, the day she um, uh, graduated, and that we had quite a little bit of. Uh, exposition then, which meant that um, we could be thrown straight back into the story. But as as you rightly said, uh, with Stephen Moffat, it was never going to be simple as that. Um, And of course, we should say that this episode was indeed written by Stephen. uh, Mm -hmm. But um, from the actual trailer, I was thinking, oh, we're going to have all these... The the Doctor's going to be jumping around in history, either doing a, a Tenth Doctor running away are you know scrabbling you know looking for a, uh, for various things to help him out but in actual fact uh, it was the very fact that fabric had become 
flatlined, as it were, and all these different realities. I mean, we even had a Roman centurion on the streets of London. Uh, we had the train coming through the Gherkin, as I referred to. Uh, we had uh, lovely how they dressed the Buckingham Palace uh, uh, to look like, uh, you know, the uh, where uh, Caesar was uh, Churchill. Uh, so there was uh, lots of little pastiches in there that set the scene very nicely. Uh, and then we had, because we are all fairly familiar with um, the impossible astronaut and the how how the tableau took place on the side of Lake Salantio, um, th those were quite long scenes. And if if we'd have seen those all in their entirety through this episode, it would have been like one of these um, old Star Trek episodes where you know one of the crews in delirium. And he keeps remembering all the different adventures he had. And you think, oh, that's just a cheap episode. They're using up old footage. But they didn't do that. They used it as a shorthand. And what we had is a situation where, you know, we only had to see them at the picnic area for 10 or 20 seconds. We only had to see the, the, the astronaut come out 10 to 20 seconds. We only had to see Delaware, the whatever, on the hillside. Uh, and that was a very quick... Um, way of establishing those uh, sequence of events and, and I thought it was quite well intercut. I'm sure some people thought it was annoying to be suddenly hopped about like that but I, I thought uh, that was extremely well done and allowed basically a, fo a one hour episode to be condensed into that 45 minute slot. I thought the thing with the schools, as you mentioned, although you could argue it was the sort of um, silly cartoonish, I thought when he fell down that hole, it was quite frightening. And, and in a way, uh, I think some people have commented on um, the actual uh, the actual way it wasn't done in, in real time. I, fast, yeah. I got a feeling it was so frightening, they slowed that down. And I'm going to pause there because they, they probably used a high speed breaking. No, they um, probably used a high speed camera and then you know and then played it back and um, you know in real time to give that slow motion effect. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I thought that was really high on the scare factor. Um, I never would have believed that was Mark Gatiss playing that uh, that creature. No. No. Uh, I was going to. I, I was going to make a point that that. He quote appears in this episode, but you would never know it. Uh, I, you know, I didn't even know it at first either because I didn't realize, you know, he was in it. Dan talk or something. Mm. Yeah, no, but you're right. I it's, mean, they, they, it was, there's a lot to put into 45 minutes. It, it, the episode, I was kind of skeptical going into this how they were going to uh, fit everything into a 45 minute slot, but I, I think they, you know, they did address the you know, the major things they needed to address. There's still a lot of loose dangling things that were left un unanswered, you know, uh, which I don't think we'll ever get an answer. Like, like those kids outside the TARDIS that we saw in last episode that seemed to be, you know, uh, magnetized by the doctor and, you know, what was that all about? And, you know, other, other elements, you know, that are left lingering, you know, uh, why, why is a young, uh, Melody Pond in, um, you know, in that NASA astronaut suit and, uh, you know, to begin with, you know, if, if it's the older river, uh, river song in the, you know, that actually does the, the shooting at the end. I thought that was just part of her conditioning, but I mean, uh, if, uh, listening back to the audio, there's not there's not a spare wasted bit of dialogue. We even have a reference back to uh, you know somewhere Elizabeth the First is waiting for the Doctor, and uh, 
uh, all sorts of things like that. And we do have um, that uh, mention of the brigadier that, that, that comes into it that seems to be the final thing that makes the doctor go and uh, face this uh, this moment that... It's not just been. I mean, we, we all said the uh, the tenth doctor went on a grand tour. This doctor's gone a hundred years or more, yeah, uh, yeah. trying to avoid this uh, appointment with fate. Well, I mean, I think it was a, a good, you know, touching moment to add, you know, the thing about the brigadier in it, though. In the scene which he does do it in, he, you know, he was just finishing. He was just going off on a, um, you know, on a lecture that. He has a time machine. He doesn't have to die. You know, he was just going off, and then he calls the brigadier, and, you know, I mean, for, I mean, he could just go visit the brigadier anywhere in, in the brigadier's timeline, but I, I guess, you know, that there are certain fixed things that he needs to, you know, since he's already has a relationship with the brigadier, maybe he needs to, I don't know, but it, it just... Well, well, I don't think it was the fact of that, that he couldn't see him. I think it's just the fact that... Um, he passed. Uh, you know, uh, the the brigadier is the old the, the the old you know soldier that fades away, and you know if 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 the brigadier can face his time or end his time, mm -hmm. then that was just a reminder that you you, you can't fight it forever, and uh, that um, what what better opportunity well not opportunity but uh, you know he's got to be grown up about it in a way. I mean, uh, and stoic about it. Um, but there's an awful a uh, lot of things. I, I'm sure uh, later on, if, if we do get round to everybody, I, I, I'll, I'll come back and say other things. But um, um, for the most, the, the, the thing I didn't think, it didn't answer things that have been left over from Series 5. We don't know who's controlling the TARDIS. Uh, we don't know uh, when, if ever, the, 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 well, we do know that Riversong knows the Doctor's name because uh, that's been... Said. In the but science of the library. It was during, it was, we thought it was during the wedding that that was when it was whispered. But it wasn't. He said, you know, look into my eye so that she could see uh, the way that he got out of the situation. I mean, um, I, w I was wrong. I was thinking that the boat he was going to be put in was going to turn out to be a TARDIS or something because he'd met them uh, in Utah on the, t the, boot, the bonnet of that uh, uh, station wagon. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, well, where's his TARDIS? So I was thinking the blue boat next to the lake, uh, that's going to be the out. So it was very cleverly done. And also we were left last week, uh, as you say, because uh, we saw Riversong in the suit under the water. Uh, everybody thought, well, the one thing that's not going to be in the suit is Riversong because he's shown us that she's in it. But uh, she did indeed do that. But it was made to the point that it was the suit that was really mainly in control. Um, uh, and then... But, and, and then essentially the doctor was in a suit, you know, in, in a sense, you know, he was in that test, tessellator, ro you know, uh, ship, if you will, the, the robot or whatever you want to call it. And, and we have to assume that it takes a whole crew to uh, pilot that, that ship or robot or whatever you want to call it, tessellator. So did the crew right. die in the fire, in the pyre, you know, at the end? <laughs> I mean, that's one of those lingering questions, too. The, the, all the many people on board, did they beam away, I guess? I, we've seen that before, so that's just what we have to assume. Yeah. I'm sure, like me, though, that a lot of people in the room will, uh, with Ken being on the phone, we'd love to hear what he thinks because we, we have missed him. Well, he's free to jump in. Yeah, I really enjoyed the episode. I thought it was fantastic. I think it was a a, a great ending to a two-year cycle that Moffat has really put together. 
not all the questions were answered, but I actually kind of like it that way. I don't think everything should be answered. We didn't get the who's behind the door uh, answer going back a couple episodes with the whole, yeah, I should have guessed. I mean, it was probably River. But not everything needs to be answered. It's meant to be watched multiple times and enjoyed and and debated and talked about. And, and to uh, there being um, a, you know, a lot of fantasy in this is less science fiction with the skulls turning to the side and, and a touch of Indiana Jones. Consider more the, the, the type of show Doctor Who's been over the past almost 48 years. And it's been, it's jumped around from science fiction to fantasy to almost fairy tale in a lot of different times and sometimes even in the same season. So I don't think this is really too far of a move for Doctor Who to to go in different directions and even in the same episode. I, I think that that's, that's pretty much par for the course when it when it comes to Doctor Who. That's moved in a lot of different directions. A lot of people have been bashing Moffat about the stuff like this. That was very complicated. He hit the reset button at the end of this, which was probably the thing that brought me the most joy in the entire episode was the reset back to the Doctor being uh, anonymous and mysterious and, and no longer this legend that wherever he went, people just bow down. And I had a problem with that in the past with, with some of the more recent Doctor Who episodes, and I've had a problem with that going back to Star Trek, as I probably mentioned on a, a past show, where, you know, oh, uh, I got plenty of starships, but no Jim Kirk. You know, after a while, that runs its course. It just kind of seems silly. Like, really? You guys spend a lot of money on starships and education and really got to wait for one captain? It's the same thing with the Doctor. It's it's great that he is this brilliant character that we all love and admire, but he can't be godlike. It it becomes, it becomes very um, boring if your character has such superpowers or such knowledge that wherever he goes and whatever he does, I only have to say run and my enemies run away. That, that's not a lot of fun. I love yeah. the pace of the story, too. Uh, I think there's a, there's a definite Spielberg influence going on in a lot of Moffat's uh, writing and his episodes. Again, that goes more to direction with things, uh, the pacing of things and the jumping around and, the, and, and a lot of the adventure. At the end of the day... It is a family show on Saturday evenings in Britain and now around the world where people watch this show for some escapism, where there's great creativity and, and fun characters and interesting stories that get us thinking and talking. What else is there to know about it? Mm. Indeed. Uh, what about the Brig reference? Loved it. I thought... I, I, I think a lot of people, when they started the season back with Impossible Astronauts, as there was a on-screen tribute to to Liz Layden, that they were like, well, what, what about Nicholas Courtney? And, I, and at that time, now looking back on in hindsight, because Nick Courtney passed away a little bit sooner, or before that, I should say, a couple months before that. Yeah, it was in February. Liz Layden, there may have been time to, to write it in, and mm -hmm. I think... Not that we would ever want this to happen to Nicholas Courtney, but he, it was kind of well known that he had been ill, and it wouldn't surprise me if Moffat and the crew kind of knew 
uh, this would be a great way of paying tribute to such a beloved character, and it worked within the, the confines of the story. The doctor was facing his death, and then learning one of his oldest and dearest friends has passed away, the reality sets into him for him, and then says, now I'm going to go face that. I'm going to go take it on. That may have been the moment after the however long we're supposed to think that he's been out there doing his farewell tour. That was the moment that changed for him, that his here is someone he's seen in all his incarnations, and now finally he's no longer with him. And I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was really... It was the the only uh, downside is that they were talking about the character and not about the actor, and so when they paid tribute to Elizabeth Sladen, it was to the person Elizabeth Sladen, the real life person, and with this it was more about the character. So I hope at some point there will be a chance to to honor Nicholas Courtney the man as opposed to the brigadier. The well, this was a nod to the you know to to the. Nicholas Courtney and the character in the show itself. What they did with Elizabeth Sladen was something separate outside of the show. Right. right. So we, we right. still haven't gotten any recognition really with, with that in the, the show itself. Thing, the other thing that you'll notice when they, when they did the tribute to Elizabeth Sladen, I think it was on BBC Three. It was around the time of Impossible and Astronaut. We had the Goodbye Sarah Jane, and it was that small montage and mm-hmm. interviews and things. Um, because she was in the current show, there was a lot of material that was current. If they did something like that with the Brigadier, it would be filled with old clips and only a handful of recent things. And I think there's still a certain hesitation to overdo classic footage on almost anything to do with the new show. I mean, BBC America avoids it like the plague. You watch any episode on BBC America, and good luck seeing John Pertwee on there. Uh, Confidential will tip its, tip its cap to uh, to the classic series, and you had some clips in, in Goodbye, Sarah Jane, but there's still, a, there's still an avoidance of early footage, almost a, a conscious effort to, to uh, minimize it, and that's kind of sad. You know, they did, huh. BBC America did the best of companions, Hey, uh, how about Sarah Kingdom? Mm. Uh, is it, I can never pronounce the name. T.M. Uh, McKickin, or whatever it is. Uh, it's just reminding me that uh, Sarah Jane Adventures, of course, here in the UK starts tomorrow on tomorrow. the 3rd of October. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just three stories, six episodes. Um, but uh, so, the, we, we had. Back to back, right? Monday, Tuesday? Yes. Monday, Tuesday, mm-hmm. yeah, for three weeks. Uh, but we had some talk uh, in the early show that. It may have been lost the the the, the actual uh, importance of the Brigadier to to newer people who've only watched new Doctor Who, and um, that may not have given the 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 sort of uh, input that that many of the people here will have known. Uh, and I'm sure somebody, when they come on audio later, uh, well, I always said it, it was a shame that, that you know he never appeared in when the series came back. I, you know, he appeared on the Sarah Jane Adventures, and I know it was limited on what he could do because of his health and all that. But even if it was just a cameo scene, even if it was just a couple seconds in an episode, at least it would have been something. Well, yeah, I'm curious to know if they had planned to have him in a few places. And as an example, going back to uh, some David Tennant stories where 
they would he would be speaking to unit by video phone or whatever, and they're oh the brigadier is here or the brigadier is there, and that they had planned perhaps even with his failing health to be able to do a uh, William Hartnell in the Three mm-hmm. Doctors kind of thing where he's just a um, um, a shot on a screen where they don't have to worry about sets or costuming or thing like that. They could actually even go to his house if they had to to, to shoot his footage, and then perhaps it was just the circumstances were. Uh, prevented him from being even in those those simple clips. What I think was a missed opportunity with this episode was in, in just um, back in Let's Kill Hitler, we had static shots of Rose and Donna and things like that. And when he talks about the Brigadier, um, the TARDIS, or, or we could have had an interface or something where we had a chance to see Nicholas Courtney or, or, and, and or the Brigadier uh, on screen for a second, even if it was from some kind of TARDIS database or information file or something along those lines, to have his, uh, his image be there and perhaps solve some of those things that Dave just mentioned about the, the new audience maybe not being able to re- relate to him. At least if they saw, okay, military guy, right, I've seen this guy's picture in a couple of books and things like that. But like many things in the new series, it's it's, there's almost like a little bit of homework required um, for a new fan to say, well, if I want to learn about who the Brigadier is. But I think, to Dave's point, he was such a significant character. Um, the scene is a, is a wonderful tribute, but there could have been more there so that you new fans could feel the pain, of, feel the loss. And I think mm-hmm. if you were a new fan, it was just a simple scene that moved the doctor to to go and, and face his own death. To older fans, to fans of the classic series, we understand the history between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know if maybe they could have done more of that. Maybe um, a, a, some flashbacks. I don't. I don't know if that would have just break you away from the story too much. But it, it may have. It may have been. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell you, though, I am looking forward to a, a couple of things that, are, that have happened. The scheduling heading into a fall schedule as opposed to a late spring, early summer schedule. I like the show being on uh, this time of year where it's back to school, uh, days getting shorter, getting a little nip in the air, that kind of thing. This, to me, is traditional Doctor Who time, not summery spring warm and sunny till nine o'clock at night kind of thing where uh, at six or seven o'clock at night this spooky show comes on you know with the silence and all these kind of things now it's hide behind the couch weather this is you know the other time was let's go outside and play ball kind of weather and um so this to me is traditional doctor who time that we've shifted and then next season will be this time there's a little bit of a break we're going to have a a, a only the Christmas story in, in almost a year. And then Moffat saying that he wants to go back to some traditional storytelling without an enormous, complicated story arc. I welcome that. Well, I welcome that, that too. If, if he's serious about that, I don't well, mind seeing a, maybe a river appearance or, or something that ties back. But let's not get bogged down in all this kind of stuff. Let's go out and doctor, uh, now anonymous doctor, land someplace problem happens, he solves it, he moves on to the next adventure a little bit. I think I think that's going to be welcome for a little while. Mm. And, and there was one thing before... seeing a few alien planets again. 
That's true. I was laughing because uh, we've just had first uh, of October a record temperature in the UK. We yeah. just almost hit 90 <laughs> degrees. So it's first sunny weather we've had, and it's October. But uh, I take on board that point. We can't have the universe being rebooted and every time. It would be lovely to have uh, alien worlds, alien adventures, but. I mean, let's face it, the face of a world isn't exactly a small problem, is it, if you're saving a billion inhabitants of a world? I think that, um, and this goes to something I had mentioned about, to some some friends about Torchwood Miracle Days, the world can't, and the universe can't always be in peril. There is enormous drama to simple things. And my knock against Miracle Day, as an example, was that, you know, things that are enormously complicated are glossed over in that show, like flying from country to country when you have martial law and things like that. That in itself could be something that could be dramatic and made into a whole story. Well, it's the same thing here. It is just as dramatic in a story like Midnight to have a small group of characters in peril doing something relatively simple. There's just as much tension, just as much drama, and just as interesting a story than there is when you say all of time and space is going to collapse and the whole universe is going to come to an end. Okay. Mm. And there's also yeah. more weight to those stories when there are simple stories um, around it. Well, in a way, went that... right back to universe and peril thing. It would be like, well, dude, we just saved the universe. Well, that's yeah. what we have well, here. We have, you know, time was going to cease, and the whole everything that was going to exist was going to die. And that we're we're back to that in this story. Yeah, well, of course. When one person dies, when you die, one person's universe dies with them. I mean, you know. But the the visuals in this story, and the eye candy, and the fun. I love alternate universe stuff. We saw that with Rise of the Cybermen. All that kind of stuff is just. Such fun because you can go anywhere and do anything. You can have a train running into a pyramid. I mean, it's it's fun. That stuff is fun, and that's what Moffat's storytelling and the whole river arc and all that kind of stuff. All the, at the end of the day, this was a good, fun story. It was entertaining. It wrapped up a lot of loose ends. We have a, we have a character that we all love. That now we have. We've, we've reset our doctor. We've, we've wrapped up a lot of stuff with River so she can be, we can explore, go back and watch the, the, the series in reverse. Uh, going to a BBC America thing, I think there was a missed opportunity there that they could have led up. They did a marathon yesterday heading into the finale. They could have led up to that with all the River stories as opposed to just rerunning the season. They could have started with Silence in the Library and, and gone through the you know, you can call it a river runs through it marathon or something and run all the river stories, which they probably will still do in the future. But I thought that was an opportunity for them to, knowing that this was all going to wrap up at some point. As a matter of fact, they showed um, the Rebel Flesh and stuff early in the morning, and they didn't show Impossible Astronaut. Why? Why would you not show the story that leads this off and show a story that, didn't really have very much to do with this particular finale. You know, They're that, working in close conjunction with the BBC and with the, the production team. It's not like this is the PBS days where it's just we buy your product. 
their marketing teams and their and their stuff are all, you know, they're working together on this, and I think there was a, an opportunity there as well. Well, we didn't see the rubble flesh return. That was one of the predictions early on that somehow the the doctor was going to be a flesh doctor, not the real doctor. It, it turned out that it was a switcheroo, but it wasn't, you know, the flesh. And, and I assumed they weren't going to come back because in the recap, there was no recap of those, you know, two episodes featuring the flesh. So, um, And we saw it d- disintegrate, didn't we, when they, uh, when, when they opened that door. But, yeah, the, that would have been uh, a worse cop-out, really. Yeah, so I'm kind of glad they didn't go that direction. So we, we kind of assumed um, they they wouldn't. And I don't think anybody gets test selector as far as um, th- this goes. Uh, yeah, and again, and that uh, I've seen online. I mean, I'm sure with uh, you know 18 billion people on the internet, someone somewhere guessed it. I'm sure someone also guessed the Candyman for crying out loud. People, that's just what people do. <laughs> throw enough stuff out there and somebody's bound to be right. Although I did guess the question was going to be Doctor Who because they kept saying, it's right there in front of you. I'm like, yeah, that's that's a message to the audience. And the title of the show is a question. So there's the question. Since the answer wasn't going to be 42, um, the question had to be Doctor Who. And that was so, me cheering, by the way, yesterday when I was watching it. So that that is what the big secret is that that the doctor exclaims, you know, what if you knew a secret that um, that was so powerful? It, it's the doctor's name. That's the big secret, and that's why the silence wants to yeah, end his life. To a disappointment, I think I thought. It, it it doesn't you know I, obviously I guess there's more to come especially you know since in the science of the library mm. River knows her, her name and then it's implied in um, in confidential Doctor Confidential that that um, perhaps there's more to tell with with River Song and um, you know as much as I like or the River Song character well as or, as or much as I like the River Song character I, I think we <laughs> I think we should we we should we could use a break from it all but. I, I, I guess you know there'll you, be another you would river song. See a break from river. Is that what you're saying? Oh yeah, it's only the occasion. I personally would rather see more river than than the Amy Rory dynamic. That's just my two cents. I, oh, I, well, I, I, I want le- I want more river song and less coupling. Well, then River Song is coupling with the Doctor. <laughs> I would like to say, I would, okay. I would, I, okay, if fair enough. If that's the case, if the case is that they're going to have a whole, that this is going to be a whole romantic thing, then yeah, fine, no problem. Let's take a break. <laughs> I mean, he um, said in this story, you know, he she's in prison, but during the day, but at nights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, do we need to go there? <laughs> Well, he's a little out of practice, but um, he has had some good feedback. <laughs> and he has a granddaughter, so something's happened somewhere. Well, that opens up a question now, doesn't it? Is the granddaughter of uh, the Doctor in River Susan? I wouldn't be surprised if Moff hits us with that on the 50th anniversary and answers that question for us. It only took half a century of real time. You can't. You never know. <laughs> right, what well, this we, is, uh, you know, this this there's a, a welcome break here. You know, we don't have, uh, un, um, and unfortunately, we don't have any more Sarah Jane after this run. Torchwood has seemed to be on pause a little bit, and now Doctor Who is just under a year. You know, barring the Christmas episode, which you know is always the one-off and doesn't is basically a 
a holiday fun romp and not some kind of major story arc uh, hinged on this, this story. So we have a little bit of a break here, which is is good. It'll get us um, it'll get us uh, excited for the next series, as opposed to um, I think what's happened is that we've been we've really kind of been as fans maybe a little in, inundated with so much material um, that we're taking it for granted. And, and that, that kind of concerns me, too, with a, with a few fans saying things like, oh, why don't they just cancel the show or, you know, uh, Moffat must go and all this kind of stuff, which, by the way, Paul Cornell predicted two years ago he, when he wore his uh, In Moffat We Trust T-shirt. He said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing this because I know it, it, it's only a matter of time till someone calls for his head. And, and why? You know, really why? Moffat's great. The show's fine. It, it, it grows and it moves in different directions. It's what keeps us interested as Doctor Who fans. It's not the same thing. Each writer, each producer, each actor brings something new to the show. And the show is as different today as John Pertwee's era was to Patrick Troughton's. So let's just enjoy it. Let's be Doctor Who fans. Enjoy what we have and realize that, you know, 10 years ago we would have been clamoring for, for anything. Well, speaking of taking breaks, we're going to take a break, but I want to remind everyone to call in at 724-444-7444. The call ID for the show is 23358. So once again, the number to call is 724-444-7444. And put yourselves in the queue. We're going to uh, take a break, and then we're going to come back and get your live feedback and what you thought about this episode and how many TARDIS groans will you give it. In the meantime, I want to remind everyone about Audible. Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. They have over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre. That includes thrillers, romance, comedy, science fiction, and yeah, yeah, fairy tales as well. Business, everything. Audible has it covered. Their Audible titles cover, uh, play on iPhones, Kindles, Androids, well, over 500 devices for listening anytime and anywhere. And for you, listeners of Doctor Who Pachak, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial, so you have a chance to check out their service. And if you decide that, well, maybe it's something that's not right for you and you don't like it, don't worry, you can just uh, cancel and keep your free audiobook. So to get your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podchock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podchock. And what we like to do is uh, give a perhaps a recommendation, what you might choose as your free audiobook. You're, you're free to choose anything you like that they have to offer. And uh, But we like to, you know, when we can, give suggestions. And we usually do Dr. Hughes suggestions on this show, obviously. And one recent release is, uh, once again, a new Tom Baker Fourth Doctor series. It's Doctor Who, The Serpent Crest, and part one is out, which is um, Czar Wars, or I believe is how it's pronounced. It's by Paul Mars. And let's hear a little bit from that now. This is, um, again, from the new series, Doctor Who, Serpent Crest. He has finally lost his beneficence towards my kind. Do you know... He was the only human ever to dine at the Royal Robotov table. And yet, ultimately, he is the only one to betray us all. When you say the only human... We were once proud to accept him among us. But surely you're human, aren't you? It is kind of you to humor me. 
But being human is not something we Robotovs aspire to. Robotovs? You mean you're all robots? Affirmative. I can't take it in. You're so lifelike for a mechanical man. The doctor called Alex a, a cyborg, didn't he? Indeed, the Tsar and Tsarina's son and heir is a cyborg. But the rest of us are wholly and integral Robotov. But you must know all of this. Which work satellite did you meet Father Gregory on? Um, Chroma. That's not one I have heard of. He was always drawn towards the human workforce on the satellite worlds, naturally enough, as they are his own kin. But never did we imagine he would try to turn them against us. Is it true that he is a master rebel force? I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. Your circumspection does you credit. All I ask is that you do us no harm whilst you are our guests here. Of course not. If anyone was going to do harm, it was those guards who brought us here. Now, they certainly don't seem human. But you and the Tsarina, I'd never know you weren't real. Although humans service the Empire in their work on the satellite planets and our generator moons, it has always been deemed appropriate to have a servo class of robots supporting the ruling elite here in the palace. And you don't bother dressing them up like people? Servos are not accorded the same cosmetic and personal characteristics as the royal family and its retinue. Oh, I don't think I could stay around them for too long. They give me the creeps. You will be served by them at dinner tonight. And if the Tsar is in a jubilant mood at the saving of his son... I would not be surprised if you, too, were invited to the royal table with Father Gregory. Oh, goodness. Well, I think I'll let the doctor do the talking. Best all round. He doesn't seem to be able to do any wrong here. In the olden days, Father Gregory was always a palace favourite. Um, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here, but you do know he isn't really this Father Gregory, don't you? Is this what we know as human sense of humour. I believe the correct response is, ah, ah, ah. I'm not trying to be funny. Father Gregory's return couldn't have been better timed. Only he. Uh, he reminds me a bit of Commander Data there. I should uh, make a point that uh, Tom Baker is, you didn't hear him in that clip, but he's in this story as well. Uh, Michael Jaston, who if you remember, played the Valyard in Doctor Who, is playing Sar in this story. So there's um, some familiar voices there in there for you. And that's, once again, this is um, written by Paul Mars. It's Doctor Who. Serpent Crest, this is part one, Tsar Wars. And it could be your free audible selection, your, your free audible book. And to download it free, you can go to audibletrial.com slash pachak. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Podshock. I've been an Audible subscriber for years, and actually this is in my queue at some point, um, I, because I you know, just have to have them, but I've been, um, my recent purchases were they, they finally put out audio books of the four John Christopher tripod books. So they've been my... Ooh, tripods. For four months going, well, my recent, <laughs> uh, my recent selection, so... This one had to be a bit on hold, and it's great to see Tom Baker back doing audios because he's also joining Big Finish as well, which isn't part of Audible. It's its own thing, but just the fact that he's back out there is is fantastic, and he has the series with Big Finish coming out in early uh, 
2012. Ian McNeese, by the way, Winston Churchill, uh, in in the Wedding of River song, mm-hmm. um, is joining Tom Baker in one of those big finishes. Not as Churchill, as a different character, which is fantastic. So, yeah. To look, to look forward to. And I just recently listened to uh, Robophobia from Big Finish with Sylvester McCoy, which I thought was fantastic. Sorry, I'm just interjecting all my recent audio <laughs> listenings in there. But, I mean, I'm a long-time Audible subscriber. I know Amy Krell is as well. We were all, you know, always seeking out new new things to listen to. This one was a gimme, though, because it's Tom Baker. So it's probably going to be next month for me. This will be my... Well, actually, it's October now, so, so this will be my October selection. Star Wars. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's October already. Yeah. Well, we're countdown to the Christmas special is on. Just a couple of months. Yeah, so th- th- I'm extending it uh, till fall next fall next year or autumn next year goes against what Stephen Moffat was originally wanting to do is not to have you know no more than just a few months that you know kids have to wait for new Doctor Who. But uh, but I, I do agree that uh, it's better to have it in the during the fall or during the the, the the you know when it gets dark out early, so you're not competing with the outdoors sunshine and all that when Doctor Who's on because Doctor Who does show so early on the UK here, you know on BBC America it's 9 p.m. so it really doesn't for yeah, US here, well, viewers yeah, and, and here it's not really family programming. I mean it is, but that's not the way it's marketed. It's a, still a cult cult show here, where in the UK it's the it's the family show um, of choice. But to me, the show started in the fall and. My thinking on this, too, is uh, you know, if you're a kid and you're going back to school, but you know that Doctor Who's around the corner, it's like, yeah, it stinks we're going back to school, but you know what, Doctor Who's on on Saturdays, and that'll get us through, you know? Um, and that kind of maybe takes the bite out of returning to school. And for me as an adult, just, you know, the day's getting shorter and getting colder and all that kind of stuff. You got Doctor Who. Yeah. That's something to look forward to. The summer's already a good mood. You know, you're in the summertime, mm-hmm. you're already in a good mood in the summertime. I need something to get me in a good mood when it's crappy out. Yeah. Mm. And of course, it's practical as well because it gives Stephen Moffat time to work on uh, three more episodes of Sherlock. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is an interesting time. You know, we have, we, we've, got a, we've got a few things. Doctor Who is at, at the height of its popularity here, and, and so it's just. Um, I wanted to come back strong, to, to come back really strong next year. So to me, to have a little bit of a break, if it means that much like the break we had before Tenant left, it gave the new production team a time to really get settled in and, and, and come out with something spectacular. And I couldn't be happier with, with the results, so it obviously worked. Well, speaking of popularity, the, from what I saw, the overnight numbers in the UK for rating for viewership goes, it's uh, was very good. I think it was six point one million. I think it came in third after um, some reality shows, X Factor, maybe Strictly Dancing or something. <laughs> yeah, and it, like that. it was shown later as well. Yeah, in the evening. But uh, and of course, it was a good night because uh, it was immediately followed by the first episode of Series Four of Merlin, which is now in high definition. So it was a good night for us. Fantasy and sci-fi fans. Yes. Yeah, so and then what, did, Dave? Did they did they hold off Confidential till after Marlin to not keep no. with it? No, no it was on it. BBC Three at the same time. I'm, I'm just Had curious to if, they, if they didn't want to step on, on the same kind of audience's toes. By the way, I thought make, make a make a mention that we 
had the last episode of Doctor Who Confidential. I think Very that's sad. a really bad decision by the people on that. It was a great mm-hmm. show. It's a way of getting Doctor Who things that aren't the show itself out there, whether it be interviews or behind the scenes or, or all the other things. It was really like, it was almost like the, the nightly news of Doctor Who. There was a way for fans to tap into different things that were going on, whether it be something to do with a, a contest or, or uh, hearing directly from the people who make the show. It's just a, it's a, lost, um, it's a lost opportunity, and, and I'm, it's really going to be missed, and I hope there's an online petition to try and save it. And in particular, it needs to be heard from, from U.K. license holders. Yeah, that's so what it really comes you, down make to. Make your thoughts known. Don't let this, this, is a, this is a great show. Don't let it slip by. Absolutely. I mean, it was great. The fr- when it, when it all started, we didn't realize it was going to be a series. It was when Doctor Who first came back in 2005. It, they they had something. You know, it wasn't even called Doctor Who Confidential at that time, but it was what led into Doctor Who Confidential. And at first, we thought it was just a one off. Then, but, oh, yeah, a one off thing to show us how they brought Doctor Who back. But then it yeah. turned out to be a weekly thing. The same way I miss I miss the, the commentaries, the, the podcast mm-hmm. commentaries. I think that's another thing, you know, that I just, to me, that was enjoyable. It's just part of sure. making the experience rich. Absolutely. Dave, did you have... Right. Can I just prompt, yeah, I was just going to prompt Ken as well, because he might not have remembered at the moment. In that confidential, of course, they showed the uh, the, the little mini episode that the children had written. And he's managed to see that. No, I haven't seen that yet. That's right, because that, they, 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 they were leading up to that all season was uh, yeah. the one yeah. that the kids uh, wrote. How was it? It was brilliant. I'm not going to spoil it by any uh, okay. any reference to it, but I'm sure it will be on YouTube. It's only a few minutes long, but uh, oh, I hope uh, the Candyman oh, oh, oh. comes back. <laughs> well, no. Also well, in that, it was it was worth keeping my fingers. <laughs> also in it, although it's not an episode, but there's a a sort of a story of River Song in it, which is uh, you mm-hmm. know River yes. Song does a narrative, you know, explaining her life from when There's she was born. Line, really, yeah. So that that's sort of, I mean, it's not an episode, but it's it's sort of like her, you know, it, it's done well, with flashbacks. About having, there's an outlet for these kind of things that don't fit in the show. Yeah. All these things are something that we as a fan community, uh, we want to see, we want to experience. And now we don't have a place to put that, a catch-all to put the making of, the interviews, the fan-made things, the this, that, the other thing. That's the place for it. That's what confident. That's the importance of confidential. It's it's a valuable asset to the yeah. series. I mean, not only because sometimes it explains to me some things that I might have missed in the episode itself, but it's it's great learning how they. Um, for a, a good example would be the guard complex. I had just assumed they were shot on location at you know a hotel or a hotel like place, and then I watched Doctor Who Confidential and I realized they they constructed that hotel. And uh, yeah. how, how impressive was that? The other thing is that Doctor Who has always been an influence, as known by the current production crew, uh, to influence young people into wanting to go into television or writing or broadcasting or acting or all these kind of things. What better way than to have to show young people, hey, this is how it's done. If you're serious about it, this is what different people do. You, if you show a, a feature on just the people who do the sound design, you can influence someone to, into becoming a sound designer because yeah. it is that fascinating and that important. Yeah, they probably didn't even know that was a career choice. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
it, it has Doctor Who has a long history of that. I mean, you can go back to John Nathan Turner published a book, you know, well, I don't know if he published it, but but there was a book published with uh, featuring John Nathan Turner as a producer, and it kind of tells you... Oh, Day in the Life of the Producer. Yeah, yeah. and it kind of tells you what a produce, producer does. And this series did sort of the same thing, you know, where uh, what does a boom operator do? Or what, you know, what does a colorist do? Or what, are, you know, some of the stuff that you see in the credits and you scratch your head, well, what's a gaffer? You know, this, story, this uh, documentary series kind of filled you on that when they, you know, when they have segments, you know, following you on a, a typical day of, you know, you know, whatever role, whatever if you had, if position. You were showing someone behind the scenes of what a boom operator does in The X Factor, <laughs> you might not really get anybody excited about becoming a boom operator. But if you showed someone who is a boom operator in Doctor Who, which is a great show and requires creativity from everyone involved, then yes, you could influence someone into doing that. And as you said, it's, it was sort of like a television magazine show on Doctor Who because it, you know, it covered uh, not just the making of the episodes, but other stuff as well. I mean, sometimes, you know, they, they went off on tangents, you know, uh, Karen, well, Karen Gillan, thing, you know, yeah. driving, you know, learning how to drive or, you know, that was kind of just Philly material. It would, but it, it still was interesting nonetheless. I'd rather have that than nothing. Nothing, absolutely. A twenty-five a minute one, much tighter. Uh, then, it, then it wouldn't have to. They wouldn't have to go into the trouble of having cut down versions. Yeah, yeah. Things like this. I, uh, I think basically it was BBC Three had to foot the bill for it. BBC One really should have footed the bill for it and given it as a freebie to BBC Three. But they, they want to spend their their money on the new and creative stuff. But um, we're hitting the hour mark here. Lucy. Yeah, so let's let's to... play uh, another oh, yeah. clip and kind of refresh our memory of the Wedding of River song, and then we're going to get to hear what you have to say. So put yourselves in the queue, and we'll get to everyone. Well, hopefully everyone. Hello. Doctor, I'm so sorry. We didn't know how to contact you. I'm afraid Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart passed away. A few months ago. Doctor? Yeah, yeah. Uh... Yes, yes. Uh, he was very peaceful. Talked a lot about you, if that's any comfort. Always made us pour an extra brandy, in case you came round one of these days. Doctor, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing. Just... This woman you spoke of, did you invite her? Yes, she was there. Riversong came twice. Here we are at last. I can't stop it. The suit's in control. You're not supposed to. This has to happen. Run. I did run. Running brought me here. I tried to fight it, but I can't. I know. Please, my love, please, please, just run. Can't? Time can be rewritten. Don't you dare. Doctor, time for you to meet some old friends. Hi, honey, I'm home. And what sort of time do you call this? Why couldn't you just die? The basic mistake. Take a child, raise her into a perfect psychopath, introduce her to the doctor, 
Who else was I going to fall in love with? Neither woman who marries you or the woman who murders you. Doctor, what's that? The pyramid above us? How many silence have you got trapped inside it? None. They're not trapped. They've been waiting for you. All right, so again, you can to call into the show. It's seven two four 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 seven four four four, and the call ID that you'll need to know is two three three five eight. So, and if you're calling and you're, you're not you're not in the talk show, you're not logged into talk show, and you're not in the chat, then just please hit uh, star eight to uh, to put yourself in the queue. And as always, what we do is uh, to show our appreciation to Dr. Hupachak supporting subscribers. We will bump them up in the queue and take them first. Uh, it's, uh, we are tremendously grateful for the support you know, that they have given us. We can't do this show without them. And unfortunately, we can't you know, continue to do this show without their support. And uh, you can help by becoming a Pachak supporting subscriber if you haven't done so already. Simply go to either arttrap.com or pachak.net, and you'll see on the top there, towards the top of the page, a banner for uh, on how to become a supporting subscriber. And you click on that, and that will give you more information. You can sign up for a small monthly fee. You'll be really helping the show and helping us continue to do the show. And so we want to a big thank you to we want to give a big thank you to uh, all our supporters and um, and this is just one of the ways we like to show our appreciation by you know for those that are calling in we'll bump you up in the queue so you don't have to wait too much longer. So to that end, I think mystery presenter would be um, first up. Then, hello, welcome back, mystery. Hello, hello, Lewis and Dave. Hi, and Ken. And, and Ken. Ken. Hello. Yeah. It's been a while, Ken, since you've been on the show. Glad to have him back. Yeah. The first thing, like, I thought the beginning was interesting when you first see the train that. Yeah. Um, especially being mostly leveled. Also, the cars attached to the balloons. It kind of threw everyone off, didn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I was actually wondering how this happened to that, like, well, it was to do with the doctor being killed. Well, supposedly no, with him not being killed. Yeah, yeah. Ta- no. Time has <laughs> had stopped <laughs> and combined. Everything sort of meshed in to each other. That's why you had, you know, Romans in the street, and you know, all, yeah. it's like alternate reality, really. Yeah, and then you had the dinosaurs flying in the air. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Very apropos with uh, with Terra Nova. <laughs> I mean, it's a coincidence, but it, it was just um... yeah. One bit of like like uh, when Doctor's on the train, like I noticed um, the blue charges that Amy had made mm-hmm. on the desk yeah. before Doctor even saw it. Then, like seeing all the pictures, like knowing that she remembers. Yeah, it's sort of a throwback to her room, you know, when she was waiting, you know, when she was younger and she was waiting for the doctor, the raggedy doctor, she had all these uh, drawings and uh, memento stuff that she had made and created, you know, recounting her adventure, you know, however brief it was, uh, her visit with um, his visit with with her. Yeah. 
Um, also, just going back, um, when they were with Winston Churchill, like, in the Sanford big room, like, with the silence around the city, I thought it was interesting when you just see the marks starting to appear on his hands. Yeah. I still don't know why they wear suits, though. I mean, uh, everything would fall out of your pockets, wouldn't it? You hang yeah. from ceilings like that. It does seem strange. I think they should be in, uh, like, boiler suits, like uh, the ones from Torchue. Uh, from uh, Torchue, from uh, <laughs> <laughs> Now you're, doing, you're making the mistake I made on um, Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. There, there seemed. I mean, back in you know the Impossible Planet when they were in 1969 or whatever, you know, it sort of made sense because they were in that whole you know skinny tie that style from that era. And uh, I guess now it's their uniform. It's sort of like um, the Weevils all wore these uh, jumpsuits, you know, and yeah. their priestly garb. They're supposed to be a religious order. Yeah, they they really haven't been fleshed out too much. What so, else? Also, well, probably just watching it the late, but like it didn't quite catch what they're like, didn't have an idea of what the question when it was first mentioned was supposed to be. The, the question well, that. Also, like, the doctor's okay. um, question, uh, Doctor Who? Yeah. <laughs> it's only on to the end, like. When it was mentioned, I realised. Well, um, yeah, it was. So they said it was the fir- first question. Well, yeah, which well, actually, if you go back to 1963, mm-hmm. to um, Ian Barber, Ian asked like Doctor Who. Yeah, we still don't know why this is such a dangerous thing. That you know, you know, this is one of these un- yeah. unanswered things. Well, probably if we got answers. It would probably take away one of the mysteries of the show. Well, I always say we shouldn't know too much about the Doctor, and we shouldn't give away too yeah. much about the Doctor. I think the Doctor himself should be uh, a, a um, you know, be shrouded in mystery, and that was the whole point of the show. Yeah. So, what did you think of the episode altogether? Was it something? Was it better than you had thought? Was it? Did it answer um, all your yeah. questions and? Um, yeah. Well, that answers like a lot, but not too much as you said. Mm-hmm. Which is something you like, at least to bring you into next series. And what TARDIS? And start off again. How many TARDIS groans would you give it? Um, I think I'd give it for five TARDIS groans. Okay, very good. All right. Well, thank you once again, Mystery. Uh, speaking of mysteries, uh, thank you very much again, Mystery Presenter. Will, will we ever? Know? Maybe, maybe that's the whole thing. Maybe you can't say your name because that would, you know, uh, yeah, Mystery Who. <laughs> maybe the silence are after you, and they don't want you to, you know, reveal who you are. Yeah. Check the seal. You know, maybe check your arms and see if you made any marks on your arms. And <laughs> all right. right. All right, well, thanks again for calling. Yeah. Cheers. Okay. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, next up in supporting subscribers is the the seventh doctor. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Lewis. How are you doing? Very good. Welcome to uh, – did you bring a wedding gift? 
<laughs> no, you know, I didn't think of that. Let's see. What can I get real quick? Oh, I have a dog here. <laughs> Is it canine? Oh, hey, sometimes I call her that, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's an acceptable gift then. So what did you think of the I wedding? I had mixed feelings with this episode. What did I think of the wedding? Very strange ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming it's Gallifreyan. Uh, I had mixed... I'm, I'm assuming also. Mm-hmm. I had mixed feelings about this story. Um, if, uh, as a story by itself, if you take out the arc stuff and um, change it a bit so it's just a story mm-hmm. on its own, I think it would have been a fabulous story. But you throw in all these this arc business and uh, you try to answer all these questions from the last two series. I think they did a very poor job in doing that. So I'm kind of um, of two minds of this story. Uh, on, on one hand, I want to give it a high rating. On another hand, I want to give it a low rating. <clears throat> That's pretty much um, how I was feeling the last couple episodes. That, that's right. My, my my bipolar reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Uh, one thing I haven't heard, and I was in the Cultum Collective uh, podcast mm-hmm. earlier, is why were the clocks not moving? Um, clocks are mechanical know, or they're digital. We they're had, on a physical process. I, we had skulls moving, which had no muscle, no nervous system, nothing, yet they were able to move. You had heads in boxes that were without any life support systems or lungs to breathe or to force air out of your mouth, to, and, and yet they were speaking and living lives. So, I, But the one thing I liked about that, Lewis, is when you saw the rows of skulls, some of the skulls were alive, but some of the skulls were dead. Because <laughs> not all the skulls moved. So I, yeah, I because they only had so many hands in the crew to behind, you know, go behind. No, the, no, I, didn't no, no. I thought it was the fact that they were, you know, they could live so long and they were basically, you know, wasting away at some rate. I thought that was quite funny. But um, anyway, it certainly fits in with uh, Stephen's way of doing things. It's not science fiction, but still. Anyway, back, back, uh, back. We go to uh, Jeff, isn't it? Yes, and uh, I guess I would want something more realistic than what we got, uh, at least in that mm-hmm. portion of the story. You know, the, the clock should have just kept moving. Because uh, if it was a functional... people were moving and the, and the balloon cars and... Because we have to assume that even though everything was mishmashed, it was somehow a functional society, yet how would it be functional if it was only 502? How could you schedule anything? How could you get anything done if, if, if none of the clocks worked? Exactly. And they were talking uh, with Dickens about the next Christmas. Well, when's that going to happen? Evidently. Um, when was the prior Christmas? At 5.02 on the same day. <laughs> it's all happening at once. So how can there be a next one? Yeah. It, it just didn't make it's sense to me. A bunch of wibbly wobbly. Right. Uh, I, I liked uh, Simon uh, Callow. I, I believe is his name, uh, reappearing as Dickens. Uh, it was a good guest appearance, uh, kind of homage back to the Unquiet Dead and the RTD era. They also brought back Richard Hope, uh, who I thought played very played the Solarian nurse or doctor very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also liked the homage to Indiana Jones, which was mentioned earlier. Yeah. As soon as that scene popped up on the screen. 
I immediately had Indiana Jones in my mind. And then when the doctor exclaimed, I hate rats. You knew that just yeah that the brought seal it home. That, yeah. And uh, it, it wasn't a coincidence when they said that. No, no, it wasn't. And I'm sure that was very deliberate. We also had uh, okay, Meredith. Uh, I, I thought it was. I, I was just throwing in there. We also had speaking of, of cameos and whatnot. There was uh, those in the U.S. may be familiar with her. Those in the U.K. maybe not. There's a, a television personality, uh, Meredith Vieira. If I'm pronouncing her last name right, uh, she does um, some news programs. She does a morning show here, and she paid a visit to the set of Doctor Who. In fact. I had seen that um, here in the U.S. when she did it, and this was before the series um, came back. This was back in, I guess, spring. And um, so mm -hmm. I knew that she was... Um because she had, I knew Ian McNeese was back, and I knew she, you know, she spoke with, um, she had spoken about Churchill and all that. So um, it kind of spilled the beans. Kind of, there was a, a little spoilery there for those in the U.S. that caught it. Um, but anyway, this is the episode that she appears in, and she's just one of those uh, televisions. She just appears as a, uh, you know, a television personality on one of the TV screens that they um, they show. Right. Uh, I, I have to say, though, the uh, I was wrong last week. I made a speculation that we were going to see somebody else in the astronaut suit other than River, and I was completely wrong. Yeah, uh, I'm glad was, I was wrong. It was the doctor. I'm surprised at that. <laughs> it was the doctor that yeah, was, was someone else. Doctor. Well, it was essentially him, but he was in this tele. Uh, what is it called? The in the Tesselecta. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, I thought they made good use of the uh, the Tesselecta and the crew uh, in delivering the envelopes to Amy, Rory, and mm -hmm. River. And uh, also, um, uh, I can't think of his name now, uh, the other gentleman that was in The Impossible Astronaut. Uh, Canton, 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 Delaware? Canton. Canton, yes. Yeah. I thought maybe he might have, you know, because we had seen this before where they might have shot in some, they may have shot some footage of uh, when they were shooting that back, you know, uh, when they were in the U.S. and all that, you know, and kept it for mm -hmm. the final episode, which I thought maybe we might have seen more of, um, uh, I think it's uh, William Morgan Shepard who plays the character. Well, they might have, but the, the pressure of time, they, they must have been pretty tight with their editing on yeah. this. Well, there was a lot to fit in, and I, I'm surprised they were able to do it in 45 minutes. As I said, it, it felt longer than 45 minutes, and I'm assuming that's probably because there was just so much, you know, packed into everything. Right. Well, one of the things I had a problem with is the actual scene at the lake. Uh, it seemed like River was out of control. She, she couldn't stop herself from killing the doctor. And then suddenly she could. Was she playing the silence, uh, making them believe that uh, she was out of control when she wasn't? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, she said uh, it was the suit firing, could, but she could misdirect it, couldn't she? I, I guess that's what it was about, because she said that she, she, drained, she drained the energy from the suit when, I guess, she fired into the into the river or something, or no pun, into the lake, rather. I don't know. <laughs> Imagine if it was, instead of a lake, it maybe it would have been more fitting if it was a river. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Yeah. One of the amusing things uh, that I haven't heard or seen anywhere is uh, when they're on the train going to Egypt and the doctor is dressing and he says to Amy, you can turn around now. And when the camera switches to Amy, she's looking straight at him. It's not like she's turning towards him. It kind of reminded me of the 11th hour when she kind of watched him get dressed then at the end of the story. Mm. That was uh, kind of amusing for me anyway. I had some problems with the whole arc. Uh, we, we had, uh, uh, we've been promised that all the questions except one would be answered. I've got a whole page of questions <laughs> that I typed out that You've I done think homework. were not answered. <laughs> uh, for example, how did Melody go from 1970 New York to 1980s Ledworth? Uh, did Madame Kavorian actually die? I don't think she did, but nothing was really said to this. Well, Rivers sort that of says effect. that 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 was in a. Um in a different timeline that doesn't exist anymore. I, I forget the exact wording, but she says something to that effect. You know, when, when Amy um, speaks to River and says, you know, I killed someone, and she's, you know, she sort of like yeah. writes it off saying, well, that was an alternative timeline that doesn't exist anymore, something like that. Yeah, because he, he and R R so, Rory weren't together in this timeline, were they? So why does River think that she is married to the doctor if that really didn't well, happen well, that's the whole in a way thing. with that you other know, timeline. Are they really, and, and this is something well, that she, they sort of explored in Confidential a little bit, that, you know, are they really married since it wasn't really the doctor, it was the Tesselastic, whatever it's called, Tesselator, Tesselator, Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but she, she, she and the doctor were the focus of this anyway. And, they were the, 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 the nukes of it, so they, a little bit like Amy, had memories of both of these timelines, didn't they? And she didn't get his name, so, which I, I guess is part of the wedding ceremony, but she does know his name later on, so we right. can assume that maybe that would, maybe in a future episode they tie the knot more officially? I don't know. Could be. I guess we'll wait and see. I whispered on one of his nighttime visits to the storm cage. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another question I had that I don't think was really answered is who took control of the TARDIS and the Big Bang? Why did they make it blow up? And what exactly caused the cracks? I, I don't think we had a straight answer on that one yet. Mm -hmm. And what about Prisoner Zero? I just thought of that. We, we really never got an answer on Prisoner Zero, who that is and the whole whole thing about him yeah I, I don't know if he played, um, I don't know if also he, if he's just a sort of a supplementary character that um, didn't really play into this whole story I mean he sort of introduced it but or he, he I don't know his prison is here he or she or I don't know, whatever no, I, I, he, she well, I, think, <laughs> I think some doctors right we didn't get much for from season uh, from series five we only got answers for summer series six and why did the silence need a device like the TARDIS? They obviously had at least one, maybe two. Uh, why was it built? Who built it? 
Um, and if they had that kind of technology, why didn't they get the, the astronaut suit from them? Why did they have to influence humanity to go to the moon, to build or to make the, the, the space suit? It just didn't really flow for me. It didn't make sense. Yeah. And I've got some other things that weren't answered in my mind, but uh, I know you have some other people on. I don't want to monopolize the time. So um, how, how would you rate the story? I will give a rating. Uh, uh, like I said, a part of it, it was really good. Part of it really was a head-scratcher uh, as far as the arc. Um, and I'd probably have to give it a 2.5 if it had without the arc in it and they had compensated for that uh with more story it probably would have been higher a four or four or five all right well fair enough well thank you um seven talk i i I was going to go off on something else now but i'm going to save that for later thank you all right cheers cheers all right, what we'll do is uh, we have our one last clip montage to play, and then there's Russell in the queue. We'll take him, and then we'll give our final wrap-up on this episode. Captain Williams, how long do we have? Ah, uh, a couple of minutes. That's enough. We're going to the receptor room right at the top of the pyramid. No, it's a timey-wimey distress beacon. No one can help me. I have to die. Shut up! We are ground zero of an explosion that will engulf all reality. Billions on billions will suffer and die. I'll suffer if I have to kill you. More than every living thing in the universe. Yes. Now, I'm about to whisper something in your ear, and you have to remember it very, very carefully and tell no one... I said I just told you my name now wife I have a request this world is dying and it's my fault please help me then you may kiss the bride I'll make you a good one you better I'm completely forgiven. So, where are we? I just climbed out of the Byzantium. I need to talk to the doctor, but I can't now, can I? If you could talk to him, would it make a difference? But he's dead, so... So I can't. Oh, mother. I'm going to tell you what I probably shouldn't. The doctor's last secret. Don't you want to know what he whispered in my ear? He whispered his name. Not his name, no. Yeah, it was. He said it was. Rule one. The doctor lies. So do I. Hey! Are you sure, River? You're really properly sure? Of course I'm sure. But how did you do it? How would you have possibly escaped? A doctor in a doctor's suit. Time said I had to be on that beach, so I dressed for the occasion. But you're a fool, nonetheless. It's all still waiting for you. The fields of Trenzalore, the fall of the 11th, and the question. The question that must never be answered. Hidden in plain sight. The question you've been running from all your life. Doctor Who. 
before you go to the next caller, uh, did uh, Ken uh, have any of those other thoughts that have been mentioned reminded you of things that you were going to say? About stuff that was missing? Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that we got some Series 6 answers, but we, you know, there's still, there's still an awful lot, and uh, I just thought it's a while it, since it you've commented. It didn't really, um, I didn't expect to get all the answers, and as I mentioned, even in my review, uh, I like a few loose ends being out there. Um, I, I don't think there was, I don't think that uh, a 45-minute episode filled with nothing but answers would have moved this way. And that's, I understand about, like, why would the silence want to reach the moon and, and using the, the astronaut suit. Yeah, there's still a few loose ends out there. Some people, the, the Moffat detractors will beat them up about not answering those. And the Moffat, the pro-Moffat camp that I'm in just really don't care. It's just like, well, if he tells us about it, great. If he doesn't, whatever. These are the things that, that authors 10 years from now will be analyzing in their various, Doctor Who tomes that they'll be putting out and um, the way we classic series fans try to figure out how we have so many versions of Atlantis. All right, well, uh, the question may be Doctor Who, but there's no question on who is in the queue, and that is uh, Russell. So we welcome back Russell to the show. Welcome back, Russell. Hello, gents. Well, we had a interesting story this week i know it, it, i this is how I, I tried to rationalize the amy in the suit thing because as i said last week it kind of bothered me this is how i figure it went even though they really didn't explain it i figured they, they tried to put the kid in the suit right mm-hmm. and and the kid escaped mm-hmm. broke out of the suit rebelled worked at worked the kid out of it so the kid works her way out of the suit and then they put river in and that's how she's at the bottom of the lake. Yeah, it's it doesn't make any, any whatever. <laughs> I don't understand the significance or, of the or, suit. But. Or, or it's this. River River does 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 the deed. I don't know. It, it just really, I was trying to rationalize how we got from kid in the suit and River in the suit. And they really didn't explain it too much in the show. No, there is no explanation really? why when um, no, there is no Madame... why, why, the, why the child's in the suit at all. Yeah, you know. And how? Well, in last episode, I, I was... we see Madame Kavorian, you know, uh, pick out the, you know, get the suit out and and give it to the adult River, you know, and it, it was yeah. just a, a matter of someone to be under the lake. It could be any suit. Why a 1969 NASA astronaut suit? Yeah. You know. So I was a little disappointed in how they, they really didn't probably explain that at all, really. Yeah. Other than, other than well, it, it'd be really dramatic if we had a child in the suit for the start of the show. Which, yeah, it was, but still, I don't know. Well, so as, little... as Ken just said, there's just so many loose ends, so I don't yeah. think it was going to be impossible. And, and I said that last week. I don't. I knew going into this that not everything was going to be tied up because there was just so much out there, and it was only. And we knew it was only going to be 45 minutes. So I, I'm yeah. amazed that they were able to achieve what they did achieve in the 45 minutes. Yeah, and and I I, I too like like the little Indiana Jones reference in there. I think that was like Temple of Doom, and one of the the the, the, the character female lead didn't like rats. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I and I am disappointed that well, that there is no that confidential is ending. When I heard that, I always thought that was a great appendium to the show, and and something that more shows, especially sci-fi fantasy shows, should do to have a little behind-the-scenes thing. And it's it's really a shame that just budget-wise, the you know they can't even maybe just cut it down like like Dave says to a half an hour show mm-hmm. and concentrate on the making of it and not. You know, uh, the companion learns how to drive, or yeah. goes underwater swimming mm. sharks, and all that nonsense. Yeah, you know, cut that out. Concentrate on the making of it, and maybe you can save some money. I agree. I ra- I'd rather I, have a you know half as long episode than no none at all. Yeah, yeah, and and it's just, it, and it was nice to see you know the, the bring bringing back Dickens a little little RTD in there. Never hurt anybody. And and I I was pleasantly surprised by the reference to the brig. I I kind of think they did that because maybe while they were filming that episode, maybe that's around his death. I don't know timing wise, well, if it was or not. Yeah, if you go back to the scenes, if you go back to the the tribute they did for to Liz Layden, and they had some interviews mm-hmm. from the cast. And if you right. if you recall at that time, and and this was what a month or so or two months after we lost um, um, uh, Nicholas Courtney. At that time, right. those scenes you you'll see that, and I noticed this. I noticed it at the time. You'll see the doctor with the longer hair. So obviously, they were at that time they were shooting this episode. So that was a couple right. months after Nicholas Courtney had passed away. So I think they did have time to uh, write something to and write incorporate it in. it in. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's, that seemed to fit, and I, I liked it. I agree with Ken. Would have been nice if they'd just shown a clip of the old series, something on the scanner screen, something. I know they're, they're they're desperately trying to distance themselves from it. I mean, as much as they can. But I, I agree. Just to remind people what he looked like, and not just a name. No, would have would have yeah, been fitting. You I know? agree. Yeah, and 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 the way the way it ended, I, I like how they they've reset the character. Let 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 this be the template for series seven, uh, where we have fresh adventures, simple contained episode. Uh, stories, no big long arcs, no Rory and Amy for, I, I say I say done, they're wrapped up. Really? Fresh new companion for, for Series 7. And then, yeah, I'm sure River will be back for an episode or two, but space it out. You know? Mm-hmm. Just no, I agree. Bring oh, her yeah, in as a shot yeah. of energy. Yeah, as, as a, the, here's a, here's a shot of energy for the show. And, and by the way, I, I think... It's just. I just want to go back to the, the Indiana Jones reference. It was the Last Crusade that had the rats um, in it. Ah, the rats. Yeah, they always had to create a bug per per movie. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, bugs and, were, and so, the bugs were in the Temple of Doom. That was the one that they. The bugs was the big creepy factor. But okay, I'm right, going off on a tangent one. here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I I like that that's reset. I think honestly, everything's been told of Rory and Amy. I don't really think there's much more we can do with them. And we've had two series of these couples. Let's let it lie. I would like to see the Love you know. Doctor interact with, with new people. And new, I mean, we've seen it a little bit with Closing Time, and I thought that was refreshing. But I'd like yeah. to see more of that where it's not just with Amy and Rory all the time. Yeah, like go, go, go to a planet. Here's a, here's a problem. Um, and, and he fixes it and moves on. Maybe make it a two-parter at most story for maybe a cliffhanger, one of them in the series. But that's it. Rest just contains stories. And, and I, I think I think you could uh, attract a whole new audience who's tired of long story arcs. And 
you know, everything we see in the first episode, we everything won't get explained until 12 episodes later. I think we've had enough. Yeah, no, I agree. And and maybe in the 13, maybe throw in one or two two-parters for a cliffhanger to make it old school if the story's big mm-hmm. enough, and then and, and just keep it like that way. And I, I think that's that's the direction they should go, and I'm, I'm really hoping that now that's the case. Well, we'll and and <laughs> it makes the sonic screwdriver not a magic screwdriver. They can't get him out of everything and scan everything and do everything. Yeah, well, I've been saying that for a while. Yeah, I think all those old school fans are waiting for the doesn't solve everything sonic screwdriver and i'm a fan of the sonic screwdriver i just don't think it should be yeah used. but it's, it's an overused uh, problem well, that's the whole thing you know um yeah you know i i think that the daleks could be powerful too but not if, you, if they're in every series you know i mean we had a no, break I'm, from them this series it was just a small cameo but uh, it'd be good to go a few years without them and then have them come back as a force to be reckoned with and I, and, yeah, and, and not to beat a dead horse, but, you know, I, I already said in the last episode, I, I really think they need to redo the Cybermen and make them a, you know, something, a, a, a bring them back to where they were, a, a powerful force yeah. that they need to be dealt with as well instead of becoming a joke now. Yeah, threatening, Earth shock Cybermen. Two of Cybermen, Cybermen. Mm-hmm. That's, that are just scary as hell, you know. Not just delete, delete, kind of a joke with stompy feet. Yeah. Which, you know, it's been degraded, unfortunately. Yeah, so overall, I'm going to give it uh, uh, a four because for the main fact that at least it's it's seemingly reset it. We should have fresh new adventure, whatever it's going to be for Christmas, and then uh, hopefully a fresh new seventh series uh, come Mm -hmm. next year which seems such a long time away. All right. And again, people can right. catch you on your show, Rambling with Russ, Rambling with Russell. Ramble, Ramble with Russell, yeah. HTTP, uh, full colon, backslash, backslash, Rambling Russ, one word, dot L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. Yeah, and coming up in October, it's going to be a lot of Halloween, a lot of spooky, a lot of horror reviews coming up. So going to try mm-hmm. to spookify the show for the month of October. Fantastic. So that that will that will be my goal. I got, I've got a lot of horror kind of spooky titles been sent to me lately. So okay. fans of the macabre will have some reviews. Fantastic. All right. Thanks again, Russell. Okay. Always a pleasure to be on the show, and uh, look forward to Christmas and the Christmas special. All right. Yes. Okay. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. Yeah, I have to. Um echo what what, uh, Russell had just said there. What I'm looking forward to is uh, a new series that uh, would be um, less fairy tales, less magic, though I I don't think we're going to get that if this is, you know, where they're at right now. I just think with Russell T. Davies in in that era, we had a lot of magic in those episodes, and now it's we're we're in a fairy tale mode, and uh, I'd just like to see uh, more science injected or sprinkled into the series and less fairy tales, less complicated story arcs. And, um, and as I said before, less of the relationships, you know, with um, Amy and Rory and River, and we can take a break from that as well and, and just get back to episodic sci-fi stories if possible. You know, <laughs> as Ken said, wouldn't mind going to another planet or two. And, um, you know, I, I thought... You know, even um, what they did in the Rebel Flash and all that, I thought was a good direction. You know, going in that direction, it was a, a bit yeah, more. Yeah, to me, that was a 
that's the perfect example of the of sort of the story away from the arc. Yeah. You could easily see that as a standalone. I'm just worried that, you know, Ken, as you said, and, and I, I agree, you know, every era of Doctor Who is on its own. You can't really compare the William Hartnell series to the John um, Pertwee series to uh, to the Peter Davison series. They all have their own, you know, each producer and each actor brings their own flair and, um, it's, you know, it, it, it molds it in a different way. So and that's the beauty of Doctor Who. And that's what keeps it going is that not only does the character regenerate, but the show regenerates. And uh, I just right now, I just feel that the two styles that we had with Russell T. Davies and now with uh, Stephen Moffat. And and I, I don't believe in the whole, you know, I, I don't I don't stand in any in any of the camps i i stand in the doctor who camp so i'm not in, in uh i'm not anti this or anti that producer i'm i'm you know i'm just pro doctor who you know i just feel that we've uh we've had a few years of magical stories now we had a few years a couple years of of fancy of, of fantasy fairy tale like stories and i'm you know <laughs> i'm looking forward to um maybe um a, a slight pivot to um, more traditional sci-fi episodic and it can stories. Be done in the even with the same producers, a great example is John Nathan Turner. When he first became producer, think about how science fiction the show became very quickly, away from Tom Baker's um, lighthearted last second to last season to a straightforward science fiction show which continued for a good chunk of Davison with a, with a few exceptions. Mm-hmm. But then later in his time, you look at some of the Sylvester McCoy stuff and see how different the McCoy era is to the Davison era, and it's the same producer. Yeah. So it can happen. It can be a situation where Moffat has this time, this whole arc that he always wanted to do, and he wanted to show how he could beat J.J. Abrams at his own game and all these other kind of things, you know, all these other producers that have been doing all these things. Uh, over the years, and he says, "Well, I'm a Doctor Who guy. I could, I could do that, no problem." And he does all these fantastic, rich, overlaid storytelling. But at the at the, the core, he's a Doctor Who fan. At some point, he's going to want to say, "I'm going to do some stories. I'm going to do some straightforward storytelling." And some days it's going to be science fiction, and other days it's going to be a monster of the week story. I would think. This also kind of goes to what you were saying, Lewis, about the thing being a fairy tale. It goes back to something I've said in the past about how I want the TARDIS console to go back, going mm-hmm. back to being a machine. Yeah. I, it doesn't need to be steampunk. It doesn't need to be organic. It doesn't need to be this ramshackle, you know, typewriter, all that kind of stuff. How about a good old-fashioned blinking light, mm-hmm. futuristic-looking time machine again? This is a product of an advanced civilization. And I know the doctor's trying to keep it together, you know, holding it together with some some string and whatnot, you know, parts that are left over. But I I like the idea that the time machine is a futuristic device. Exactly, yeah. No, I agree. I I just feel, I I don't... Just while we pause for breath, um, there's quite a few people who put their ratings in the text there, Lewis. Mm -hmm. I can have an attempt at reading a few of those out. <laughs> the names they come up with: uh, Shara sixty six, four out of five. Big Dog four out of five. This is out of five, of course. Uh, um, Davros uh, four and a half. Uh, some of these names: Ne Ne Marie is it? 
five out of five. Let's say Bob four and a half. Let's seven Doctor two and a half. Uh, Willis Girl three, and Claude four out of five for Claude. Mm-hmm. I think that's about it. People on audio, of course, have given their rating. You can also go to our website, podshock.net, and we have a poll that we do with every episode that runs on um, on our site, and you can give your TARDIS grown there. So if you're listening to this after the fact, after the live show, you can go and um, check out, uh, you can rate it yourself on our poll. Right now, I can see um, for the wedding, the wedding of River Song, uh, 45% is at five TARDIS groans followed by 18%. Actually, it's a tie. Actually, it's a three-way tie uh, with 18% going to four, three, and two TARDIS groans, and zero for one and, and zero TARDIS groans. So I think overall it's uh, showing up as a favorable episode. Um, I myself, I didn't hate it. I didn't um, love it. I thought it was, it was enjoyable. It, it was fun. I, I think I enjoyed it on the second time around more so than on the first, but that seems to be the case lately with Doctor Who, and um, I'm going to give it three and a half TARDIS groans out of five. Uh, just some of the stuff, um, and again, I don't want to you know harp on it, but it's just less fairy tale and and just more believable. It doesn't even have to just make it believable, and I'll be happy. Um, it's um, but overall, it did have to. I mean, it did tackle a lot of what it had to tackle. It was probably better than I was expecting it. There's lots of loose ends still there. Uh, not everything needs to be answered, but um, we still, I still would like to know about Madame Kavarian and, and what her background and her motives are. I don't know if we'll ever know that. Who knows? But um, as I said, going forward, I'd just um, like to see more episodic adventures and less complicated story arcs. arcs. Uh, I, my fear is that, like with the Bond series, you know, towards the end of the Roger Moore um, his stay or error, it became more of a... It was beginning to become a self-parody, and I don't think Doctor Who is there yet, but I fear... I don't want it to, to get there. And when you got little... You know, when you got blue heads and boxes talking and all that, it just... Sometimes I, I worry that it's... I don't want it to become a, a self-parody of itself. Right, Bond. Pond. The name <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah, there was a reference there to James Bond as well, yes. Which I think. Yeah, uh, S. Michael 68 has put uh, four out of five. Guest 35, yes, there's that many people who have been in the room. Four out of five, too. Well, Ken and. Four out of five is a, is a pretty fair number. I'm going to go four and a half out of five. Okay. And, and really, I give the extra half point because, from a purist point of view, it's four out of five. But I give the extra half point, and where I disagree with Lewis a bit is that I really enjoyed it. I just. I had fun watching the episode, and at the end of the day, that's why we do this. So, uh, and just from the, the the applauding with the whole Doctor Who ending, to me, that's it brings it. It, it sort of brings it all back around. It, it it reminds me a little bit of the end of the Five Doctors, where he goes on the run from his own people again, and it sort of renews the thing that we're here for, and I, that's why I found myself applauding there at the end. Yeah, if you've given an extra half a half point for mentioning the brig, that's what Davros puts in. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And throw that in as well. I mean, there's, a, there's some nice sentimentality there without it being cheesy. And, and that's some of Moffat's strengths as well, uh, based on what he did as an example with Time Crash. You know, there's an example of uh, taking something that 
can very easily be sappy and, and overdone. And getting all the things you want to get in without really turning it into dimensions and time. So he's very skilled at that. That's why I'm really happy he's going to be the producer for the 50th anniversary special. I think if there's anybody who's going to figure a clever and fresh way of making an anniversary story, it's him. I just want to make a point that I think he's in that right. The, the seventh doctor in the in chat said that he didn't really think it was renewed at all, and I have to be honest, I didn't really get that feeling watching it. It was just this, you know, at the the very end with uh, the blue the blue head guy in the box saying Doctor Who, Doctor Who was just you know reminding us about what this question is that that had to be silenced. Whatever the answer is was his name supposedly, but I didn't really get the sense that it was renewed. Personally, that, that you know, that was my feeling. I, I didn't. I think there has been times in the past where his name is supposed to carry some some weight, something larger than than a human name would, and that's why I'm curious about. It. Remember, he's still an alien, so I think there's more to it than meets the eye, and and, and so for me, it worked. Yeah, I just didn't. I just didn't feel the reset. I mean, I, I feel well. Maybe we had. Maybe this might be the end of uh, Amy and Rory. Perhaps he's, uh, the reset comes from the fact that he's back to being sort of anonymous. The, the universe thinks he's dead. Yeah, but he can go anywhere and any time. So he can go, if he travels back to a point where they think he's alive, he's alive. If they travel, if he travels to a point where he thinks they think he's dead, he's dead. Don't think of it like that. Think of it from the pure production storytelling standpoint. He can go back and simply go places and and from, from take it take it from the producer and writer standpoint. Don't take of it as, as from the fan standpoint. We can now make smaller, less universe saving stories again. I just feel uh, that they they could have done that anyway. They could have. I mean, it didn't. I didn't think you needed a reset, and I don't think. I, I just don't see how that was. How you know? I, I didn't see how that was a um, a leash on the doctor to begin with. That I just don't want to see stories where the doctor walks in the room and the bad guys go run. I agree. I agree. But I don't understand why. Why did that have to be that way to begin with? It just doesn't have to be. Yeah. You know, you didn't need to have a reset for them to change that. They could have just changed it. Well, some of it was a hangover from the 10th Doctor's era, wasn't it? And we've sort of climbed down now from that. But it, it seemed to me a little bit as though it was a, a slight reset. The problem is it's, we're going to have a whole new generation of fans, as I said at the beginning, thinking the programme is called Doctor Who. You know, he, he's called Doctor Who, not not that he's called the Doctor. But uh, if, it, if it does mean we can... Uh, scale down things a little bit I'll, I'll be quite happy well, especially if we get a little Go Dave on. if you watch the show in America you'd think the show is called Amy Pond yeah they, 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 supposedly the BBC America with, uh, you know all the stuff about Amy and it's like no it's the show's about the doctor and at the end of the day the show wasn't called Rose and it wasn't called Joe Grant and it wasn't called Sarah Jane Smith it was called Doctor Who and so I it, I, I was hoping that that Rory and Amy's time was up, and now it looks like they're not. It looks like they're going to continue, and it's not a dislike of, of either of the actors. I, I think they're mm -hmm. fine actors, and I and I like the characters as well. I just think, and Lewis alluded to this. It's um, time to move on. I think it's time if you're going to try this 
bit of a fresh start, this fresh approach, come out with a new companion who can mm-hmm. ask all the questions over again, try something that will, that will stimulate the audience. You know, a new, ca- a new character will, will automatically do that, a new, dyna- uh, a new dynamic, and, and move in that smaller story-oriented approach. There was a chance to make a, a large shift. Maybe that's just not where, where they want to go just yet. I had thought, in, in, deep down inside, I kind of figured that this was going to be the end for, for Amy and Rory. Uh, for a couple of reasons, uh, uh, Karen kept saying uh, she kept going back and forth. Oh, we'll, we'll be back, or I moved to LA, and all these kind of things. And you're like, well, okay, is she leaving? Is she not leaving? They, they, there was some question as to if her contract was extended, and all this kind of stuff. So I had kind of thought, well, maybe she just doesn't want to spoil the fact that she's leaving the show. She didn't want to ruin the the finale. Now that we've seen it, we know that there isn't a, a, a walk off there. Yeah, I guess we'll see with the... Uh, interesting, I don't think Karen Gillan or Arthur Drarville was uh, on the cast listing for the Christmas special that I've seen so far in the in the press release. I, I could be wrong, but I don't recall seeing their names in it. We don't have a proper goodbye going on there. So, But then again, we did two episodes ago. Who, who knows? This yeah. is Moffat we're talking about. Dave, what was your final? Did you give a TARDIS grown rating, Dave, yourself? Yeah, I think four. I think it was a, a good, solid episode. I, I, I was extremely uh, uh, pleased that sort of 90% of it was there. I would have liked a little bit more resolution from Series 5. I mean, I like uh, Arthur Darvill and uh, probably slightly more than Amy, but I, I do feel as though we're coming to the end game of their involvement with mm-hmm. it. Uh, I do feel it's time for... Uh, new companions. Uh, I don't mind River Song coming back because she's a good character. I mean, she's going to come back to get a red uh, uh, sonic screwdriver with a red setting for heaven's sake. But, um, but basically, um, I thought this was um, it wasn't a, a climax where we had you know six people flying the the, the console and uh, towing the world back into place. It was one of those big, big, big stories. But it certainly. Uh, resolved quite a convoluted plot line uh, successfully, I thought. Mm. All right. Well, again, we want to hear what you have to say. There's also on our site, there's a forum where people are putting their, writing their thoughts and reviews about it as well. So again, if you listen to it and to this podcast after the fact, you can go there and um, chime in there. Also, you can uh, send us feedback by calling 206-984-3543. That's not the live number, but that's our that's the Podshock public call box, and you can call that anytime. Not during you don't have to wait for the live show, night or day, or even if it's five o two p.m. and it's stuck at that time, you can give us a call and leave your feedback there as well. And that's also not the direct hotline to the Gallifrey Embassy headquarters. You know, you won't get one of our secretaries. <laughs> All right, so... Um, How may I answer your call? How may I speak with Louis Trapani? <laughs> uh, one moment, please. Well, yeah, we, we have flesh replicas of ourselves handling all that. And uh, Dave, can you remind people how, where they could find the Cultum Collective? I know it's at 2 p.m. Uh, you had just reviewed this episode as well. It's uh, available on Talk. Not only just reviewed it, it's already up on the feeds, yes. Uh, but just in case uh, people missed that, 
in two weeks' time, uh, which will be the uh, the sixteenth uh, of October. We're doing a full series review of series six. Next week, we're doing our uh, final review of uh, Torchwood Miracle Day. But uh, yeah, it's Torchwood Torchshoe ID five four eight two one, and of course on iTunes. Okay, fantastic. And keep an eye on our website. We'll probably be doing the same. I, I'm not sure about the exact dates yet, so um, but uh, keep an eye there. So until then, thanks everyone for listening and participating. And if you in the UK, you can make your voice heard about Doctor Who Confidential. Please do. So until next time, cheers. Yeah, I put the link. I put the link in for the um, for the actual uh, Twitter account for it. It's uh, Save D W C Twitter account. Well, yeah, I think link. probably the best thing would be to uh, contact the if you're in the UK and you're paying the license fee to contact the, you know, obviously the BBC in the UK. All right, so I guess that's going to wrap things up. Thanks again for listening, and cheers, everyone. Cheers. cheers. You've been listening to Doctor Who Parchock, presented by the fan-run GallifreyMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Parchock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Parchock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and is presented to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible in part by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode also is supported by the Poshock Podcast Companion app, available for iOS devices now in the iTunes App Store. Hello. Doctor, I'm so sorry. We didn't know how to contact you. I'm afraid Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart passed away. A few months ago. Doctor? Yeah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, he was very peaceful. Talked a lot about you, if that's any comfort. Always made us pour an extra brandy, in case you came round one of these days. Doctor, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing. Just... Doctor, come back at once. Typical. Absolutely typical.